Ah, um, this morning's message is a continuation through the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12, and we'll finish chapter 12 this morning. And the portion of Scripture, um, verses 17 through 21, deals with how Christians ought to treat unbelievers and their enemies. And so if you want, you might ought to go out to the car or back home and get your steel-toed boots um, because this is going to tread on your feet. I'm, I'm confident because it did, it did mine um, just in preparation. If, if we live long enough and, and serve long enough, uh, we are all going to have enemies in our lives. Um, it, it, it just um, the it, seeking to obey God and 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 do the right thing um, creates enemies of opposition um, in ministry to the Christian in your walk. Um, folks will criticize you for being a Pharisee, a hypocrite, and everything else, and yet you know what your heart is and whether or not you need to be on your knees repenting of some of the things and the way you treat people. Last week's message was the relationship of Christians to believers, other folks um, that are followers of Christ, and today's is, you know, uh, unbelievers. How do we treat and how are we supposed to live with other folks around us that are unbelievers? And if we realize it or not, the Lord, while ministering on earth, had enemies, folks in opposition. They crucified him. So, you know, and they, they were religious, church-going people. Ah, oh, I didn't realize that. Well, you need to. Because sometimes, you know, Paul and his disciples had enemies that opposed their work. They let him down over a wall one, uh, one time at night, uh, in the middle of the night, so that they wouldn't find him there in the morning and kill him. He spent time in jail. There's opposition to the work and cause of Christ, even to your Christian faith and your walk. Um, right now, Christianity is being drugged through the mud in this country. And the opposition to just standing for right that, to the point that they call us terrorists. And, and it's, so it's, it's enemies, it's opposition. And Jesus, uh, I've run onto a passage this week that in, in studying, Jesus even warned his own disciples that their worst enemies would be those in their own household. You say, I didn't know that. Well, it's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, if you want to go read it. And his exact words um, was, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. You say, how does that happen? Well, I can take you to many a young preacher uh, that are deterred from ministry by their friends and family. They didn't want their kid to grow up and be a preacher or their daughter to be a missionary, and, and they, they deterred them from, from that. Uh, uh, many, uh, uh, the, you know, parents and, and wives and, and husbands that just don't want their family involved in ministry, that were enemies to their own family. 
I, my brother um, taught in a Christian school um, back in the 70s, and there was opposition to that because teachers made about a fifth of what they made teaching in the public school system way back when. And, and so, you know, there was folks within the family, won't you go out and get a real job? And the fact that he left the nickel plant to go into that service made it even worse, you know, and, and caused a lot of financial hardships. And him and his wife did that. They, they went into full-time ministry for a gentleman um, out of Dayton, Tennessee, uh, traveled all over the United States setting up ministries when we could minister in the public school to this karate expert that the, the guy could... Uh, don't ask me how they do it. I mean, he busted blocks with his forehead, and then and they go in and put on these exposition, ex, whatever, in the public school system, <laughs> and and then give an altar call and tell kids about Christ and have hundreds saved. But I remember the opposition within our own family to when Mike quit nickel plant and and went into full time Christian service, and so. Uh, on, on the other hand, sometimes, and it's what Paul's dealing with in this passage, believers many times create their enemies. Um, and, and it's because of the way we treat people. And it's, it's the lack of love um, and, and impatience. In Christian circles, it's those pharisaical, hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous. I've got that down pat because I used to be one of them. I know what that looks like. Um, that go around judging other people because of the way they live or something they do or do not do. That, bless God, I've got it on my to-do list. And so, a lot of times, and, you know, we create enemies by the way we treat people. And there is, there is a huge difference in sharing in the offense of the cross and being an offensive, obnoxious, egotistical, self-righteous, pharisaical hypocrite. A big difference. And um, Christians... Treating other unsaved people like the world treats people. It, it, it can be very offensive. Romans twelve seventeen uh, through 21. Let's read it together or you can follow along as they put it up on the screen. And it starts out right in your face. Repay no one evil for evil. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody smacks me in the face, I want to knock their block off. So he gets right after us, right in the beginning. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, whoo, thank God he put that in there because sometimes it's impossible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, and we know it is not always possible. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Hmm, that's hard. But rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. And I will repay, says the Lord. 
Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That was always my goal. Whoopee. Uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father God, bless the reading of your word. Paybacks and vengeance, he starts off with. (coughs) And he deals with this first in this passage. Most Christians want to play God when it comes to dealing with unbelievers or your enemies. They want to avenge themselves. We want to return evil for evil and be good to those that are good to us. And yet that's the opposite of what Paul teaches in this passage. The unbeliever could care less. I'll just if, if you're here as an unbeliever, you'll say amen, and, and please do. Um, we, we relish it. But the unbeliever could care less what doctrine, what your theology is, um, whether you believe or you're a premillennialist, an amillennialist, a, a postmillennialist. They could care less what you think about the doctrine of election or free will. They don't care. What they do care, the unbeliever does care about, and, and, and they watch you, whether you're watching them or not, or, or, or aware, and want to know how you treat their children. They, they, whether or not you are honest, They want to know whether or not you're paying your bills on time. And and they will look to see how you defend yourself and whether or not you're living out these principles that Paul states in Romans 12, 17 through 21. And believe you me, we all can raise our hand and say, This is not easy to live out what the Scripture says here. It can be hard, and and it can be tasking. Uh, You've got to make yourself when it comes to dealing with. Do, Do we not, you know, do we turn the other cheek? Or is the first thing that you want to do is put the gloves on and fight back? I've seen firsthand what putting the gloves on and fighting back look like. Linda and I was raised in the same neighborhood growing up as kids. And I had an uncle that was, uh, he was a Christian man. My, my grandmother's brother, great uncle, I guess. And him and a gentleman got, and those of you that were raised on a farm will know what I'm talking about. They got in an argument over a water gap. And a water gap's where the creek, where the fence goes through the creek, and you put barbed wire and a log on the bottom of it so it hangs and moves. It's you don't run this creek. Now you know what educated you on what a water gap is. It's so it can swing when the water gets high and runs through. They got in a in an argument over it on a property line, and about three days after their initial argument, the man stopped in front of my great uncle's house, right in front of Linda's house pulled out a gun and shot him, killed him right there in the middle of the road because of a disagreement. I'm not blaming one party or the other. It just happened. 
And it's do we turn the other cheek? Can we live peaceably as much as within you? It doesn't say what the other guy's supposed to do. It's what's in you. Can we live peaceably? Or is the first thing we want to do? I can see it to this day, the picture that's burned in my mind. My uncle was a whole lot bigger than the other gentleman. I mean, he was a huge man. Um, just he, he, He'd go... 280, 300 pound at least, and was uh, and and it wasn't here. It was here. He was just he was just a huge man, and his boots was off there in the road. What was he wanting to do? He had taken the gloves off. He had put them on. He was wanting to fight him, and this guy had an equalizer, and that's what happened. And when you look at this passage, and and. It, it teaches otherwise than putting the gloves on. Turn the other cheek and walk away. The second thing that he talks about is have regard for good things and live peaceably with all men. These are some of the greatest principles in Scripture as to how we should treat the unsaved, even the, the unbeliever along with the believer, that you will find anywhere in the Word of God. Anywhere. And yet they are the most difficult to live by. It's, it, it's a difficult thing to turn the other cheek. I was, I was raised by a, a, a single parent mom. Never reli- remember not living one day in the house with my dad. And we were raised over on the south side in, of Huntington. In, a, in what was a, a fairly rough neighborhood, and turning the other cheek was not something in my repertoire as a kid growing up. We threw rocks at each other and everything else, and, and my dad taught me, when you're the smaller one, get you what I just mentioned, an equalizer, find you a club. And, and it's hard to live by these principles. It, it, and, and yet he, he, he starts that, which is somewhat interesting, regard for good things. Have a regard for good things. Do you gravitate to filthy jokes and vulgar language? I, I, I think that's some of what he's leaning. Do you lean in? I think that's what Paul's leaning into here is regard for good things is don't 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 say it but is your facebook page or twitter or instagram or whatever it is that, that you do is it cluttered with material that you wouldn't want the lord to see or read let me tell you a secret he sees it and reads it Regard for good things. One really doesn't have to look very far into your stuff and, and see if, 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 if you have, you know, put this into practice, what Paul's is describing here. I, I've been out of business and hiring and firing people for 13 years now. But even 
years ago, we wanted to look and delve in to people's stuff and talk to folks that they had worked with and worked for and had key phrases as to how they treated people and the way they acted as to whether or not, because the playing field was evil, even in, in the folks that we were hiring as far as their abilities, so we looked a, a, a line item deeper as to the way they, what they practiced and what they did, what their hobbies were. Have regard for good things. What do you gravitate to? Uh, do you live peaceably with all people? How, how you and your neighbor get along? Are you constantly bickering, arguing, fussing, criticizing those around you? Huh. Remember, folks... Part of this requires faith. You can't... The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. It's hard to live that by your, by, by your own self-will within you. It requires faith. God, help me today. I, I don't know. Here he is. Last thing Tom said to me after he helped me get my waiters off a few minutes ago was I ask God every day, every day to use me. That's a prayer you ought to be praying. God, help me every day to live peaceably. Use me today and influence someone else. Help me to be a Christian, is what he's saying, in the light of everybody else to see. Man, oh man. The next thing he says is treat your enemies and unbelievers like family. Now, I struggle with that. You can say amen or oh me. We all do. Um, my pastor used to, used to quote me this scripture. He'd say, treat your enemies and, your un, and the unbelievers like they're your family. Those ought to be the folks you're inviting home on Sunday after church if you want to go out instead of huddling up with your clique of friends. And, and he said, take them out to dinner. And, and if your enemy is hungry, feed him. I want him to starve to death, is what I used to tell the preacher. You know, out of my life. And, and he taught me to, to try to live out. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. It's hard to act and do the right thing towards them. And now God is saying, therefore, get in your pocketbook. That's what he's really, that's what Paul's saying here. Spend some money on them and feed them. Take them out to eat. Spend time with them. Clothe them. Give them something to drink. Most of us want to knock the stuffings out of them. When we get hurt or offend us, we think that we want to take the matter out of God's hand and, and, and in turn jeopardize our character and our testimony. 
I've told you before, I know a church that split over a chicken wing. Doc Hudson used to tell the story. They had a, 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 an after-church dinner one day, and one guy believed in the doctrine of election, and the other guy didn't, and one of the deacons stood up and said, "Is predestined and foreordained before God this day that I ate this chicken wing. And the other deacon was standing beside him, reached over and broke it in half, said, Bless God, it ain't going to be so this time, and took a big bite out of it. That's not living peaceable with all men. It's hard to do the right thing, and and we 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 jeopardize our testimony, our character, the way we treat people. No longer walking by faith, believing that God will take care of us, as it stated in this passage of Scripture. I love the part of the sentence that Paul adds, for in doing so it will heap coals of fire on their head. When you treat people right, they don't understand, they sometimes don't like it. Um, We know this to be true uh, within our own because when we uh, mistreat someone, it irritates us when they smile and are kind when we really wanted them to fight back. We really wanted them to to defend themselves and argue. Instead, when this happens, uh, one always experiences. You, You mistreat someone and they treat you back with kindness and goodwill and you'll experience the shame and guilt because of the way you've acted. Mistreating folks. Because it is unnatural. Unnatural to feed and give drink to those that we consider our enemies. Unnatural to return kindness to hurt and mistreatment. I, I witnessed, uh, I, I, don't, I don't read a, uh, I've about disregarded Facebook completely in my life um, because of some of the, the, the garbage that's been there in the past two or three years and the way that they've tried to silence conservative Christians. And, and the other day, young ladies near and dear to us, seen a member of her family get shot in Huntington and her mom put a a post. I actually went looking for his picture. I hadn't seen the young man in, in years. I went looking for his picture and she said she held no, no hatred for whoever, doesn't even know, for whoever killed her son. That's living out this passage, folks. That's not easy. We all must confess that we want to and have hit back. And and it, it is most definitely unnatural 
to live like Christ. And that is why we must live in the power and influence of the Holy Spirit by faith. Not being overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I can tell you right now, if the Christians in Washington, D.C. would start witnessing truth and leading people to Christ, you'd see our country turn around. Because there's nothing that Jesus couldn't fix. Whether it's in your family or in this country, I'll never forget... I was an assistant pastor at Abundant Life, the big church as you go into Proctorville back in the mid to late 70s, early 80s. And there was a trailer park. They initially just owned a 600-foot strip of property through and built the church. And then they wanted to build a gymnasium. And there was a trailer park. And as the trailers came for sale, we just started buying back and forth on each side of the drive that went up through there. Um, through that trailer park. And because it dead-ended at our property, it gave us huge lot there to build the gymnasium that is there still today with the classroom addition. And then we wanted to put a playground out in front. And we had these old big old equipment tires that parents would raise three kinds of just just mad at us all the time. The kids would go out there after Sunday in their good clothes and have that old black rubber tire stain on their clothes and swing sets and just all kinds of good things for kids. But we had uh, there was a, a, a gentleman that, that lived in that trailer park and because that was what we was turning into a place for our gym and, and that playground and we had petitioned the trustees uh, to close off that road because it just spilled right into our private property and they'd go driving right through the middle of the playground. Uh, and we'd done turned it to grass. And we owned it all and there never was a road there till we built the church. And we'd bought all those additional lots and whatever and we had one gentleman that just fought us tooth and toenail. I mean, and at the time I was not only assistant pastor, but I was also the bus mechanic. And I worked on our buses, and so I was out and about, and he's the first one he's seen when he'd come to gripe. And and he cost us a lot of legal fees and constantly, and, and I was obviously young and dumb and wanted to argue with him and and provoke him. I really wanted to confront him uh, in a confrontation. And I'll never forget, Pastor Irby quoted me this scripture and instructed me to start witnessing to him. And my comment, as it is a lot of times, are you a fool in any other area? You know, preacher, really? Is that what we're, we're supposed to do? And he read me these four verses of scripture and said, yes we're going to start witnessing to this guy and we'll see a turnaround. And <laughs> one of the hardest things I've ever done, this guy was a bully. He was obnoxious. He, he had us in court. And, you know, we started, I just started handing the gospel track. Four things you must know to go to heaven when you die. Every time he'd come around, I said, here, here's the four things you need to learn before you come and want to talk to me. 
And I started trying to tell him about Jesus. And, and <laughs> you know, he quit coming around wanting to argue. He didn't want to hear about Christ. And he didn't want anyone witness to him. And he didn't want to hear about Jesus more than he didn't want to hear about anything else. And eventually he moved from that neighborhood. And I, I don't know that he was ever converted. And even if our enemies are not converted, it's the right thing to do. And we still have experienced the love of God in our own hearts when we treat people that way. It, it's not easy to adopt this philosophy. And it's, it's, it's hard not to act with worldly tactics uh, of hate and revenge and avenge ourselves and want to beat the devil out of them. I was raised in a home where I had, we, my mom and stepdad got married when we were up, we weren't kids, I'll put it that way. And I had two stepbrothers that not only at the time when they first put us together, I didn't like them, but they didn't like me. And we fought. I, I don't, I, I don't mean we argued, we fought. And my stepdad said, I'm going to put an end to this stuff. And they built a boxing ring out in our barn and bought a pair of boxing gloves and said, next time you all argue, we're going to the barn. And we're, you're going to go at it till you quit arguing. And somebody says, I'm done. And that's how we settled our differences. And it wasn't very long because I was the littlest one that I didn't argue much anymore. But I learned valuable lessons because Red, and some of you may know Red Rammer, he was a foot and a half taller than I was and, and mean as a striped snake, and he'd just beat the devil out of me every chance he got. That's how I was raised. This passage of Scripture didn't come natural to me. Probably doesn't come natural to you because the big picture is overcome evil with good. The big picture is maintain your testimony. The big picture is lead them to Christ. The big picture is they're going to spend eternity in hell if somebody doesn't reach them with the gospel. I don't care if it's your family, if it's your so-called co-workers, your neighbors, people you really despise. And go read those four verses again. Feed them. Give them drink. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Make no mistake. God will avenge. 
your mistreatment and your hurt and your pain and your sorrow. We don't have to pay back. We just need to do what's right. And you'll see it. You'll see those folks come to Christ. And if they never come and apologize, you've made a difference instead of a point. And I don't know about you, but I'm into making differences in people's lives instead of making points. You can win an argument and lose a friend. You can win an argument and miss the opportunity to win someone to Christ. Let's stand.